0: now, uh, Genesis chapter 7, to answer a very critical question, which, by the way, I'm not going to answer today, but I'm going to have you look at the question anyway. <laughs> Could there have been dinosaurs on the ark? This is really going to open up a lot of, uh, I, uh, a lot of thoughts and, and, and things that, uh, that pertain to what we've been studying for over a year now. A year ago we began a study, actually in January of 2010, we began a study of the book of Genesis. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the first couple of chapters because we were dealing with the issue of truth. Is it true that God created the heavens and the earth? Is it true that he created them in six 24-hour days as, as we uh, examined all of the uh, alternative thinkings and views and all? And we've come to realize that everything that is in, is in God's Word is true. We believe it by faith, but then again, we've also examined uh, the evidences uh, that uh, that exist. Well, we're and uh, we're heading toward in our studies from this point on. In the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing with the issue, or the issues, I should say, of dinosaurs and of flood geology was there really a worldwide flood? And, uh, of course, there's a lot of questions in the uh, evolutionary scientific community, and even to the point that uh, it, it isn't even desired to be discussed, but the all the evidences lead to that. And everything that we see uh, in, uh, in geology throughout the world today, if not uh, just looking at uh, some of the things that are mentioned in some of the uh, the annals of uh, other nations and other uh, uh, civilizations where they write about a flood. Well, we know that there's a flood because God's Word tells us that. So we're dealing with truth, and, and this is why we are going to spend some time now dealing with issues of this nature. Now we might think, well, it, does it really matter whether there were dinosaurs or not? Well, first of all, we all know that there were dinosaurs. Why do we know that? Because of the fossil records and because of the bones that have been found. So we all know that they're dinosaurs. That's not the question. The question is, when did they exist? And what was their function? And did they exist when man existed? Because a prevailing thought is, of course, in the things that we learned. And let, me, let me kind of take a little uh, uh, survey here because I understand, I found out from the first service that... Uh, Not everybody actually was taught about dinosaurs because they were in school a long, long time ago. (sighs) But but if you were taught about dinosaurs, raise your hand, just raise your hand. In school. And I guess those of you that didn't raise your hand either are really, really old or you didn't go to school at all. Okay, so we, we we got that understanding. Everybody pretty much heard about dinosaurs and stuff. Okay, so we know that they... We were taught about dinosaurs. So that's the thing. Uh, is it important? Yes, it is. I'll tell you why. Because what our children are receiving today in public schools is far from what it teaches about these things in the Word of God. So we need to come to grips with what is really true. Because what we're hearing in the, in the public schools today is something being taught as truth, even though technically it's still theory so we have to deal with those issues we're dealing with truth i'd like to read verses 1 through 9 because uh, we are eventually going to exposit this particular passage and then move on from chapter 7 on into the rest of the book of genesis but but it's important for us to at least have this to to kind of uh springboard into our questions today uh, genesis 1 verses 1 uh, 7 i'm sorry uh, genesis 7 verses 1 through 9 And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters was upon the earth. Or when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls, and of every thing that creepeth upon the earth, there went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. Shall we pray? Father, grant us your wisdom this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. Allow us, Lord, to listen and to hear. And to pay attention and to discern that we may understand and know your truth and that we may know, Lord God, that your truth supersedes all of what man may call truth today. We are so blessed to know that you are alive and that you are a living God that is concerned with our, not only our daily life, but you're concerned with our eternity. And for this reason, Lord, we need to know your truth about all these matters. So help us in understanding them today, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And so once again, we need to address the issue of the battle for truth and the attacks that have been waged against those who would stand for the truth of the word of God and especially The biblical account of creation. Now, should you look up Dr. Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis on YouTube, you will find that many of the videos that are brought up on your search will actually be attacks. Or if you bring up one of his sites and you see a a particular message that he's teaching on biblical creation, and then you scroll down to all of the comments that are made, the comments themselves are attacks upon Dr. Ham. And so it is not so much attacks on his material and the things that he deals with and presents, but they are squarely attacks on his character. They are attacks even still in the form of personal, insulting attacks and comments. Not with rational answers, but with insults. But this is to be expected uh, in our heavily laden, godless, humanistic culture and society that continues to seek to expel every godly vestige from public places and positions, who seeks to take the name of God out of all kinds of institutions, public and whatnot. It's happening all around us, isn't it? Well, we shouldn't be surprised from where these attacks come when we, when we ourselves take a stand for the truth of the gospel and the word of God against the teachings of evolutionary secular humanists. They oftentimes come from those who have bought into the prevailing philosophies of the Big Bang and ape ancestry and the survival of the fittest without questioning their rationale. Obviously, we're supposed, we we Christians, we believers in Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be stupid idiots for not accepting evolutions as science and, and not manning up to our chimp origin. Well, what is not known or understood by atheistic evolutionary scientists and followers is that man was not designed to live without God. Man wasn't designed to live without God. From the very beginning, as you look at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And you see how carefully God creates Man in his own image. And in his own likeness. And he creates man with a purpose. And with a significance. And he gives man, both male and female, purposes for each other. Because they're made in the image of God. But by the time we get to chapter 3, and the fall of man, because of disobedience to his one Great command of the garden. Now the idea of man and God, even though Adam and Eve get right in the sense of surrendering to God's uh, mercies, still, after Adam and Eve, what did we see? Cain killing his brother Abel. A line that began to look at things from their perspective, from man's perspective, to say, Man, we, we don't manage we don't need God anymore. Cain takes off, turns his back on God, turns his back on all the things of God, and he goes off and he says, You know, we'll create our own gods. We'll even be gods ourselves. And guess what? That's not an old story. It continues to happen today. Man seeking to live an existence without God. Man wasn't designed. To live without God. Because part of the makeup of being in the image of God. Is the spirit. That meets with God. But what died the day that Adam and Eve. Ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Spiritually they died. And it took God. To do what needed to be done. To bring man back. And eventually of course it would lead to. Him sending His only begotten Son. So, we do, so we do, do we understand here? Man wasn't designed to live without God. Man has taken up that challenge and that flag today. So to lay the foundation for our next few studies in dinosaurs and flood theology, it's, or flood geology, I should say, it is highly important to deal with the reasons why we need to spend so much time in these issues. Because you see, it's all about truth. And if anyone spoke about truth, it was Jesus himself. Jesus, in chapter 8 of John, the the gospel of John, in verses 31 and 32, He says to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word, then you're My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall, shall make you free. And in chapter 14, He makes it very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was the truth. He is the truth. He will always be the truth. Because the issue is about truth. But if you think that's not enough, just think about what Jesus says before Pilate, before he goes to the cross. In John 18, verse 37. Jesus standing here before Pilate, knowing that he's going to go to the cross. Knowing that the people have been incited to cry out to have him crucified. Jesus says this to Pilate, after Pilate asks him the question, are you a king then? And Jesus said, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Did you see what, what 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 Jesus said? He said that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everything that Jesus came to do was to bear witness of the truth, the truth about God, the truth about His Father, the truth about His Word, the truth about creation, the truth about everything that is written in His Word, because He was the Word. John one one says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was uh, the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the truth. And listen, if we go back to Matthew chapter 19, when he deals with a particular issue of of, of those Pharisees that came to test him and and to try him and to tempt him into saying things that they could could accuse him of. In Matthew 19 verse 3, the Pharisees came and, and tempting him, said unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In other words, is it lawful for a man to, to, to divorce his wife for every cause? And, and Jesus an, answered and said unto them, Have you not read? You all know what he, was, what he was talking about, right? Have you not read the latest book by Dr. Oz? <laughs> have you not read the latest election from Oprah's uh, books? You know, have you not read the Reader's Digest? Is that what he was talking about? It's very clear what he was meaning, what he was talking about. Have you not read the scriptures? Have you not read God's word? Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain or they two shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not man put asunder. He was, he was quoting from Genesis chapter two. And he was quoting it in authority and with authority because he believed it because he wrote it. It was his truth. And folks, if Jesus came to bear witness of the truth and the truth of Genesis chapter 2 is referred to by Jesus, then it is clear that the truth of Genesis chapter 1 would not have been in question by the Lord either. Nor any other chapter in the book of Genesis for that matter. Every chapter of the book of Genesis, Jesus believed as truth everyone. And if this truly is the case, then we can certainly believe the truth of John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, we will question the gospel if we cannot believe the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. We would even question whether John 3.16 is true or not. But if Jesus says the book of Genesis is true, then John 3.16 is true. Jesus came to die for the sins of men. That's the gospel. That's why this is so important. That we don't sugarcoat it. We don't wash or whitewash the gospel in any way. I'm saddened because I see things happening in, the, in what is called the church today. People are, are, you know, got these modern ideas. Oh, you know, we need to be entertained. We need to entertain people. We need to find out what everybody wants to feel good about. And that's what we'll teach them in church. Folks, we need to know what God says. And we need to know what God means. So, folks, if we can believe the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning God, then we can believe every word from Genesis to Revelation. Every word. We can believe it by faith because if God said it, then it's true. So it's imperative on our part to understand the necessity of grounding ourselves in these truths. When I say that we are to ground ourselves in these truths, I'm not talking about digging a hole like, a, like a, an ostrich to put his head in the sand. We need to be standing with our heads up Grounded not in soil, but in rock. The rock of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The rock of the truth of the word of God. And we need to have the courage. that it comes by the Holy Spirit, but we need to take the courage and have the courage to stand upon that truth, no matter what. We need to ground ourselves in these truths. So, consider if you will. The words in the second part of this verse in the Song of Solomon. I, I, I want to make a point here. So I'm kind of going uh, a little bit uh, in a you know, roundabout way to make a point. But I'm just I'm taking scripture and just using some some meanings here to, to give you an understanding of where we're going. So Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse six. The person that is speaking says this at the, the end of the verse. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. you all see that? You see it up here? You see it in your Bible? Turn your Bible there. Okay. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard have I not kept. Now, I only use this verse because of what it means, what, what this person is saying. In other words, what this person is saying is, I became so busy in the important things of life that I failed to prioritize the most important For a biblical understanding, if you remember Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, Lazarus, friends of Jesus. Jesus came to visit them one day and and, uh, Mary and Martha were so excited. Mary got to, uh, you know, I should say Martha got into the kitchen and she started making a meal and started doing all kinds of things and running here and running there. Just trying to make everything really wonderful because Jesus was in their home. But Jesus was in the in the living room or Dan or whatever, and he was there speaking. And Mary, the sister, wasn't helping Martha. She was at the feet of Jesus listening and being there, in essence, worshiping. And Martha was really upset about this. She came to Jesus and complained about Mary. It's not like us. We're not like that, are we? Martha complained about Mary, and Jesus said, Martha, Mary has chosen the better part. What you did is fine. It's important. But there's something more important. You see, the person who was given a vineyard, they kept a vineyard, but but they didn't keep their own vineyard. Wow, that's significant. So in other words... We can fail to prioritize the most important things in our lives. What would be the most important priority then? Well, let me take you to Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Uh, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament in your Bibles, right before the book of Matthew. So let's turn there and let's look at what it says. And again, there's a context. uh, We're not trying to follow the context so much as to see what it is that is to be prioritized. But uh, this is a good example because here God is dealing with the children of Israel because they have disobeyed the Lord in so many areas of their lives. And this is, this is one of the great areas that they disobeyed the Lord in. They, uh, the men were becoming very treacherous with their spouses. And because of this, God has to deal with them. You know, they're not being blessed because they're being disobedient. And so, you know, they're saying, well, well for what reason? You know, they're questioning God and, and the Lord gives uh, gives an answer. He says, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt, dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? In other words, why did he bring the, the husband and the wife together? And here's the reason. He seeks godly offspring. This is the point I wanted you to see. The importance of why God brings man and woman, male and female, together to become one. Because God seeks godly offspring. God seeks godly children. Now, one of the greatest attacks that Satan has perpetrated against our children is in the areas of truth and godliness. Our priority as Christian families is in the saving of our households. It is in the saving of our households. And do you know who we learned that from? Noah. Noah. The, the Noah of our text in Genesis 9, uh, 7. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the faith chapter. And, and, and in this particular part of chapter 11 is the hall of faith. Bringing up men and women who, who were men of faith, people of faith, that really trusted God. And Noah was one of them. And, and notice what it says about Noah here. Because this was Noah's concern. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen... Move with godly fear. God had spoken to Noah and said, I want you to build an ark. In essence, he told Noah about a hundred years before he finishes the ark, he says, I want you to build an ark because I'm going to destroy the world. And so Noah moved with this godly fear. Notice what he does. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He was concerned about his children. Listen, he was a part of this line of Seth, wasn't he? We talked about the line of Seth many weeks ago, but but, uh, we we remember there was the line of Cain and the line of Seth. Seth being the brother that came after uh, Abel had been murdered by Cain. So now the godly line of Seth began, and we went from Seth through Noah. From Noah, we're going to go all the way to Abraham, and then to, uh, to David, and then from David all the way to Jesus. But here's the problem. The problem is there was a line of Seth, but where did everybody go? They were supposed to be a godly line. Eventually, Noah's the only one. So he's now needing to save his household. But then notice the next phrase. It says, by which he condemned the world. You know, it's about time that we in the church start doing the same. Too many of us are wanting to be friends of the world. God did not call us to be friends of the world. He called us to be members of the kingdom of God. We better pray about that. We better pray, where is it where where I'm trying to be a friend of the world here? Because what Noah did was condemn the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And so the primary task in a believer's life is not the giving of offerings, and I should say, even though that's an important thing, it isn't the most important thing. Service in the church is a wonderful thing, but it's not the most important thing. Service to one another is a great thing, and you should do it, but it isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is the raising of godly children. I heard Dr. G. Thomas Sharp, a devoted Christian scientist and a uh, devoted believer in Jesus Christ as well. I heard him say that a godly child is to have a convictional morality. It's a very interesting phrase. He said that a godly child is to have a convictional morality. Not just a a basic morality that can be interpreted by any number of worldviews. I mean, there are a lot of cultures today that are not Christian, but they have a sense of morality. They have a kind of a sense of what's right and what's wrong to them. But not a convictional morality. Because a convictional morality is a a morality that is based upon a conviction of the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ and of the God who created the heavens and the earth and all things therein. Therefore, when when we as a a people understand what it means to have a convictional morality, we are saying that we have a morality that learns quickly and understands the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And it is a convictional morality that honors the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And our children need to have that kind of morality. A morality with conviction. And it is a morality that is seen in the words and actions of three Hebrew children in the book of Daniel and in chapter 3. You all know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the time we get to chapter 3 in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has gotten a pretty sizable head on him, and everybody's telling him, you know what you need to do, they, they, they don't like the, the, the Hebrew children that have, or the Hebrew people that have kind of become uh, people that the Nebuchadnezzar can trust, so... They're, they're trying to find any, way, any which way that they can to accuse them of any kind of sins against Nebuchadnezzar. So these uh, particular satraps and all these uh, uh, people that are under Nebuchadnezzar come to him and tell him, listen, what you need to do is you need to make this big image of yourself and, 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 and bring it out into the, to the people and let the people just bow down to that image. It's your image, but they'd be worshiping you in essence. Well, they, he did that, and, and so they would bring out this humongous image, and, and, and uh, the people, when they would sound, the, you know, whatever it was, the horns, or whatever, and, and, and everybody was supposed to bow to this image. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided they're not going to bow at all. Because they don't serve that image, and they don't serve Nebuchadnezzar. They serve the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they would not bow. They would not bow their knee. They would not bow their head. They would not bow anything to this God to this image. And so they were taken and arrested and brought to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Look, I'm going to have to take you because you didn't bow down to this image. I'm going to have to take you and throw you into the burning fiery furnace. So what was their response to that? Well, this is what we see in verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We're not going to bow. And we know the rest of the story. God did deliver them from the burning fiery furnace. In such a marvelous and miraculous way. So much so that when they came out of the fiery furnace, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. But everybody who threw them into the fire, they got consumed by the fire. You see, that is the convictional morality that uh, uh, Dr. Sharp was talking about. And those are the kind of godly children that we need to raise today. Children with a determination to discern all things through the filter of truth, which is the word of God. Now, the Apostle John talks about this kind of discernment in, uh, in his first letter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. See, the problem today in the church is too many people are just believing everything that they hear. Believing every book that comes out, well, it was published by a Christian publisher. I, I don't care. Check it out. You know, there's this there's this idea that the enemy wants to mesmerize us to believing everything that comes out of a Christian publication. You got to check it out. So, John says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So if the Spirit of Antichrist was there in John's time, isn't it not more here today? It's a lot more of the Spirit of Antichrist here today. You are of God little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's why we need to condemn the world. And then he says, they are of the world. Those who don't believe in Jesus, they're of the world. Those who don't believe that Jesus came to die for the sins of men, they're of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world and the world hears them. But then he says in verse 6, we are of God. I hope you can say that today. I am of God. We are of God. Do you believe that? Are you of God? Praise the Lord. I really hope you are. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error there's a tremendous spirit of error going around today and one of the areas where that spirit is directed the hardest and the most is at our children in public schools and I can say that because I was a public school teacher one time those of you that are public school teachers today and are believers in Jesus Christ you know what I'm talking about this is where the battlefield is so here's a question So, what about dinosaurs? What about dinosaurs? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know that dinosaurs, for at least the last 40 years, have been used as the number one social liberal engineering practice for the deliberate dumbing down of our children concerning the authority of Scripture? and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Dinosaurs, for at least 40 years, have been used as the number one social liberal engineering practice for the deliberate dumbing down of our children concerning the authority of Scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you didn't know it, you better know it now. You keep up with the news, you'll notice uh, that, uh, and not not so much the liberal news, because you, you have to kind of go beyond that, because they won't report stories like this. But there's a there's a high school student uh, who was a Christian and a believer in the Word of God. And uh, he, he lives in California, actually, I believe in, in uh, Orange County. But uh, his uh, one of his teachers attacked him because... He's a Christian, and uh, the young man has taken this teacher to court (laughs) because it isn't his business to be attacking a person because of what he believes, but he brought it out. That's what's happening in schools today, and not just that one incident. There are many incidents. Science teachers, history teachers who have it in them to look for anybody that believes the Bible and say, you know, you're just really stupid for believing this. And saying it in front of all the class. That's a wonderful example of a professional, isn't it? But now he's in trouble. Hopefully. I really hope he is. So that's not what he's there to do. He's there to teach. But that's what we're dealing with in the public schools today. It is happening. And they are trying to dumb down our kids. What have we been taught about dinosaurs? For those of you that raised your hands earlier. and The ones who didn't, of course, I'm still praying for you. But the classic answer to that question, what we've been taught about dinosaurs is that dinosaurs first evolved around 235 million years ago, long before man evolved from that single cell amoeba. The evolutionists say that no human being ever lived with dinosaurs. Man didn't live that long ago. And they also say that around 65 million years ago, the dinosaurs all died out, probably through some catastrophic event such as a drastic Uh, and dramatic climate change or or maybe even an enormous asteroid shower that came out about a year ago that uh, scientists said we we really believe that it was probably an asteroid shower that killed all the dinosaurs that would have have been a pretty good asteroid shower that just pinpointed every dinosaur nothing else so I don't know but other evolutionists say because they're not all in agreement about these things but other evolutionists say that the dinosaurs evolved into birds and so are still flying around us today so if you see a little sparrow come up to your window, just say, look, a dinosaur. Because they say dinosaurs turn into birds. If you believe that, got a bridge to sell you. Let's take uh, for our study today, the great star. Oh, by the way, before I go on, uh, how many of you saw Jurassic Park? Hi, hey, that's the problem. <laughs> you all saw it. I hope you didn't believe that stuff okay? It's just a pretty good movie. A lot of great graphic effects, right? All right. Maybe that's the problem. Well, let's take uh, for our study today the great star of the movie Jurassic Park. His name is Tyrannosaurus Rex. Let's consider a few uh, artist renderings. Let's look at the first one. <laughs> it's scary. That's a scary picture, isn't it? Look at the size of that head. Look at those teeth. And then there's drool all over. And, and then it's interesting, you know, it's got a big red head. And then it's got a kind of a, a, a body painted like a, like a tiger and, a, and all. And it, it looks pretty vicious. And it's standing on its tippy toes. I don't know. That's pretty good balance, you know, there. But we know what's interesting about that picture? Those little arms. And I'm wondering, huh, that's interesting. The big head probably did it all, didn't it? Because he couldn't do it with the hands. This is with a head. Well, there's another rendering, and that's the uh, next picture, and that's an interesting thing because the other one's red, this one's green, and a little yellow on the front, and it looks pretty ferocious, also. And it's got the picos on his back, on the neck, you know, and all of that, and, and then he's got, you know, this. It looks like a body that's ready for action and stuff. And you know what else it has? These little arms, but like this, you know. And I don't know what they're for because you can't even reach to t- scratch a nose or <laughs> behind the ear. Maybe just the belly. Interesting. And then we find another picture of uh, another T-Rex. And uh, this one here is a little bit more docile, it looks like. You know, he's got his mouth closed and uh, looks kind of happy. Uh, uh, painted green and gray and striped and... Uh, And and it's the only one that I've seen that it's got his head way, way down because I think he's he's trying to get his 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 little arms down to the ground. But if I could tell it's just barely there. And then it's got that huge, big big tail and all of that. So these are all just artist renderings, aren't they? We, we, have, we, we can't really agree on what color it is and what's, uh, possibly what size it is because of what? Because of the bones that we found. So let's look at the, the skull of uh, T-Rex. And uh, there's the vicious teeth and, and all. And there's something here that uh, that we want to look at. Do uh, you all see that little area there? Right there? Say yes, because my back's turned to you. Uh-huh. Uh, right there? Okay. That's the endocranial area of the skull. And and that's something of of importance for us here. uh, Dr. Sharp, who I mentioned earlier, uh, tells of having in his office the the endocranial form of the brain cavity of a T-Rex that was found in the Black Hills of South Dakota in 1990 by Pete and Neil Lawson. And uh, when they found these bones, they even named uh, this uh, T-Rex Stan. Stan. And he said that from the dimension of the cavity of that one particular uh, 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 fossil that they found, and this, this part was, would have been taken out and cut out for research, but uh, he had a model actually of it, the exact size of it and all. But from that particular uh, uh, endocranial cavity... And the dimension of the cavity, the size of the T-Rex brain would have been comparable to that of an oversized walnut on steroids, I guess, uh, or that of a large peach. That's the size of the brain of a T-Rex. Now Why is that important? Well, it's important because scientists have called it Tyrannosaurus Rex, which means tyrant, lizard, king. And they've called him that for well over 90 years. Well, okay, let's give them this. Let's give the scientists this. Tyrannosaurus measured up to 40 feet in length, standing 20 feet tall, and probably estimated to have weighed uh, about 8 tons, 6 to 8 tons, which would be about uh, the heaviest uh, 16,000 pounds. The skull was up to about 5 feet in length. And contained six to eight inch long teeth with serrated edges. So evolutionists were quick to say that T Rex was a ferocious carnivore. And you look at it, just, just we're going to keep this picture up here for a little bit. So you look at those teeth and you say, My, that has to be a meat eater. Well, let's go back about a hundred years. The first T Rex was discovered in nineteen oh three. And the fossils of that discovery could be put into a bushel basket. Okay? About this much. Okay? You all know what a bushel basket is. So you could put the fossils into the bushel basket. They found a tooth. Remember, 1903. They found a tooth. They found a jawbone, a part of the jawbone. They found a few other bones. They found some spinal fragments and they found skull fragments. And it is from that that they conceived the tyrant lizard king. Just from those bones. So since then we've had Tyrannosaurus rex based only on those particular bones. The name was given. Large vicious teeth and jaw must have been a killer. Because that's all they had pretty much as part of that and then some other bones. So until a more complete T-Rex was found, and guess when it was found? It was found in 1988, just a few years before the movie. But in 1988, at 89, around that time, they found a, a, a near, nearly complete T-Rex uh, skeletal, skeletal uh, which included the front arms. And, and because of that, it, it, it posed this problem. A major problem, actually. A major problem to the evolutionists. Because first of all, how could such a vicious animal have such short and practically useless arms for its own defense? You know, an animal can be, can be very offensive in a sense of its, its characteristic, but you know, it also has to be defensive. It also has to protect itself. How do you protect itself? Maybe because you have a humongous head. But the problem with that then is that if we take the model of the skeleton and then <laughs> begin to apply body mass to it and all, we begin to realize it really couldn't move like the movie said it would. So then you have that problem plus the two little arm, arm problem. That You know, if you got a T-Rex into a, into a boxing match, it would, wouldn't make it because he couldn't protect himself from being hit in the face all the time. Because when you see boxers, what are they doing? They're protecting themselves with their gloves. So how do they do it here? Eh. (laughs) What? So, problem, right? So could they have only been used for scratching its belly? In other words, the meanest, most vicious meat-eating dinosaur, according to them, had front arms and couldn't protect itself. And this has brought evolutionists to question whether T-Rex was a predator or maybe just a slow, dumb-witted scavenger. I'm leaning toward the slow, dumb-witted scavenger here. At least based upon the bones that we found. So while we're here, let's let's also consider a couple of other issues related to the T-Rex. So, so far, the, the evidence from the evolutionist position about the T-Rex leads us to Quite a mystery. It's it's a mystery. We we don't really know much. We only can build upon, you know, speculation and conjecture and and, and all that uh, this is possibly how it looked uh, once we put the bones together. But it's a mystery. They can only speculate how long ago and when. They can only speculate about how it functioned and why. But let me ask you a question. Does God tell us when he made T-Rex? Because remember this, bones that are found in excavation sites, bones that are found reveal something that had lived at one time, something that was alive. Now, do we believe the scriptures? Can we believe that God created all things that uh, in in the making of, of the uh, of the uh, the days of uh, creation that on the 6th day when he created land animals he also created man there's no extra biblical things that we can look into to see that uh, dinosaurs were different and what we have is what the bible tells us the question is does god tell us when he made the t rex Well, let me say this. While it may sound foolish to those who have had their worldview tainted by evolution, may I say that God made the T-Rex about 6,000 years ago on the sixth day of creation. I know it may sound foolish to you. I don't care. I don't foresee that it's any different than somebody telling you that dinosaurs existed 235 million years ago and nobody knows what happened to them. 2 million years ago or 200 million years ago for that matter but I have the word of God to support this and by the way it was the same day that man was created what does that tell you if dinosaurs did exist because God created them as he did then they created then they existed on the same day shall we read it Genesis 1 through 27 you want to argue with God go ahead God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. I would have to say that uh, with the bones that we found of a Tyrannosaurus rex, that was probably a beast, wasn't it? Well, God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind, a different kind. And everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. By the word, the things that creep on the earth, if you look carefully at that word in the Hebrew, and we're going to come back to that word a little later, that you, you begin to realize those are reptilian type of animals. We'll get to that in another time. God saw that it was good. Why does God say that throughout the whole of creation in chapter 1? He says it because, you see, it was good because death hadn't come into existence yet. There was no death. We talked about that a year ago, by the way. So I don't want to spend too much time with that. There was no death. See, the evolutionists would have you believe that there is so much underneath all, the, all of the earth, everywhere and every place, that we should be loaded with bones underneath the earth because, you know, the, the dinosaurs existed and then everything just kind of, you know, piled up about it. Well, we're going to talk about that in, in flood geology because when we look at the geology of, let's say, the Grand Canyon... Well, where the ten layers are supposed to be, there's only five. You tell me. Well, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Point is this. God saw that it was good. Why? Because there's no death. And then God said, let us make man in our own image. Very same day. According to our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There wasn't a time at that, at that point in time when Adam and Eve had to worry about Tyrannosaurus Rex coming over there and having them for lunch. Like that poor guy that was in the bathroom in Jurassic Park. They didn't. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now another thing. Since I know you, most of you watch the movie Jurassic Park. You might remember that T-Rex was a pretty fast animal. I'll remember that, right? T-Rex breaks out of the cage. And then he eats that little goat that was right next to him. Slurp. Then he goes up and he scares the kids in the cars. You know, the kids with the lights. You know, and then the kids, you know, go down that slide. Yeah. So then they come to try to rescue the kids, and they got that Jeep, and then they get the one guy that was knocked out, and then they put him into the car, and all of a sudden they take off. And who comes right after him? T-Rex. And he's pretty fast. Spielberg was, 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 uh, you know, genius in all of this because, you know, being a great director and a great cinematographer, man, he, he takes that camera and he brings it right to the speedometer, and we see that the speedometer is at 45 miles an hour. And you're thinking, man, that's Pretty good. Because you know who's right behind them? T-Rex. Keeping up with them. Almost getting them. Almost snapping right at them. And you're thinking, wow, that animal can really run. Yeah, well, Stanford University. A study was done by one of the professors there. It was a locomotion study on T-Rex based on the body mass on the skeletal portion of, of its legs and its hind portions, and dealing with all the body mass, dealing with what would have been constructed. You know, they, they did a very careful construction of this, uh, 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 computer construction you in, in all, to do the test of locomotion as well as strength indicator. After doing all of these tests, you know what they came up with? They found out, first of all, that the strength indicator of the of the T. Rex was only about nine units, which was less than that of an e- even a female African elephant that was at about 14 units, a little faster, in other words, <clears throat> meaning that the elephant was faster than the T. Rex. And and uh, by the way, um, it it, would, it wouldn't really have the kind of balance that that one did running after the car. Because again of its uh, of its structure and its feet and uh, you know the bone structures and and whatnot. So what they discovered was from this particular test that the T. Rex was probably not one that ran at all. May if if it did run if it had to run it probably got no faster than 15 miles an hour, but not 45. So when you go through a school zone tomorrow, think that's about as fast. As a T-Rex is. No, I mean, you know, that's a good indicator. That's about it. At least they'll be safe and they won't get, a, you know, a ticket. <laughs> By the way, did you know that the T-Rex was also a vegetarian? It was a vegetarian. and We know that because of what the Word of God says. Genesis 1.30, it says also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to every thing that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. By the teeth. I'm going to get into that next time, for time's sake. But next time I'm going to get in because I'm going to show you some other bone structures of living animals, modern animals, that have a very similar bone structure and the same kind of teeth structure but they're a vegetarian they only eat herbs not meat we'll, we'll, we'll do that later the point is that the evolutionists are at war with each other over these problems that have arisen in their conjectures and in their speculations and this brings us to the issue of their worldview it brings us all to the issue of worldview, because you see, we've been presented their interpretation of the evidence as if it were evidence. That's the problem, but it's also the key to understanding the problem. They have presented their interpretation of the evidence as if it is the evidence. The interpretation of the evidence is directly dependent upon your worldview. Folks, they have a bias, but do you know we do too? But we also have the evidence, we have the bones, we can look at the same bones, we can look at the same uh, geological structures, we can look at all the same geological layers, we can do it all. But we have a different worldview than they do. And the primary view of the evolutionist is atheistic. They don't want to believe in God, they refuse to believe that there's a God. And so everything is by the natural order. We take the same evidence, we look at the same evidence, and we say, there has to be a God. And guess what? Both sides have to believe what they believe by faith. But we know something greater. Our lives have been changed by the miracle of what Christ Jesus has done for us on the cross. And that's something no one can explain. God is And always will be. He is. What is his name? I am that I am. I am. Evolutionist says, he isn't. God says, I am. And we believe what his word says. So what do you think the evidence says? Well, take, for example, this statement by an evolutionist. This was actually a statement given to a creation scientist in a debate. And um, first of all, the, the, the evolutionists, there were actually more evolutionists against this one creation scientist. But uh, what they were doing was saying, look, we've seen all the evidence, all the evidence points to evolution. And the creation scientist says to him, listen, I, you haven't said anything. Anybody can say that. Well, we have the studies and we have this and that. But, well, you still haven't said anything. Give me something that is evidence. So this is the evidence that was given to him. The evolutionist said, we know that chimpanzees are 99.4% similar biochemically to human beings. Therefore, here's the summation, here's the conclusion. Therefore, chimpanzees are our nearest relatives in the animal kingdom. You got the worldview now? Yes? Okay. But what does the the above evidence mean to a Bible-believing Christian? The creation scientist listened to that particular statement, and this is what he said. Okay, it's evidence. Yeah, you're right. We know that chimpanzees are 99.4% similar biochemically to human beings, but you know what it means to me? It means that the eternal God was so wise and so powerful and so knowledgeable that he made chimpanzees and human beings with the same morphological and external characteristics that they competed for the same kind of things in a similar world and environment that you would see a common design and a common creatorship, but you wouldn't see common ancestry. What an answer. That's the answer, folks. That's based on the worldview of knowing that there is a God, knowing that God's word is truth. And we can look at that and say that was what God always desired for us to see the fact that God is a wise God. You know, why have us with two arms, two legs and all the other creatures with, you know, looking like aliens from another movie, you know. Oh, there's just, there's morphological uh, uh, similarities, which means external evidences, external characteristics. No problem there. All we have to remember is they're not, they're they're not our, our ancestors. They may be their ancestors, but they're not our ancestors. We were created in the image of God. Let me know a chimpanzee if he ever comes to your door and knocks and begins to tell you words from the books of William Shakespeare. Or maybe he begins to quote from, from, uh, uh from some kind of physics book or some kind of, you know, some kind of chemistry uh, textbook. Uh, tell me when a chimpanzee comes and does that to you because you know what? It'll never happen. Why is it that people get so excited? You know, you watch some, some of the news shows on uh, early morning CBS or ABC or NBC. Uh And, and they, they were so excited because somebody brings on a, a, an elephant that takes a big paintbrush and paints a picture, and says, "Isn't that wonderful? He can paint." Or they say, "Here comes we have a dolphin that can communicate." You know. Well, what did he say? But you're sitting here today, and I know there's some of you are thinking, you know, oh, this is a bunch of hogwash. Well, let me tell you what. If you think it's hogwash, then you say to God, your word is hogwash. Go right ahead. Start it. You ready? God knew exactly what he was doing. And please don't give me this idea, because we've already talked about this. But God didn't use evolution to create the world. God was very specific. Created the world in six 24-hour days. We studied that, we've already covered it. I know there's even some Christians today that are, you know, that are into this thing about God using evolution. They're, They're called theistic evolutionists. No. Doesn't sit with God's Word. You have to twist the scriptures too much. Folks, God created the world the way He wanted to create it. And the animals that He created on it for a reason. For the very reason that we're here today, we have to trust what God did. In opposition to what everybody else has to trust. Because evolutionists have to believe that evolution is their science and their religion and they have to believe it by faith because they have no solid proof. It's still theory. So guess what? That creation scientist just interpreted the same evidence based upon our biblical worldview. So what we need to learn from all of this is that we need to secure the evidence to always be in line with the Word of God. Which brings us to some last questions and thoughts. Because we haven't got to the question yet about whether elements were on the ark or not. We're going to get to that next time. But here's a question that you need to consider. Does the Bible talk about these dinosaurs? Does the Bible talk about dinosaurs? Because the critics will say, well, the word dinosaur is not even in the Bible. Really? You know that? Can you understand that before dinosaurs were even called dinosaurs, they were called dragons? I got a neat video to show you next time. We'll talk about that then. But before dinosaurs were called dinosaurs, they were called dragons. And the first usage of the word dinosaur, which comes from two Latin words, Dino, which is terrible, Saria, meaning lizard. So it was, dinosaur means terrible lizard. That word was penned by, uh, or, or, Conceived by Richard Owen of the British Museum in 1841. Now consider this, 1841, that's 200, 230 years from the writing, of, from the publishing of the King James Version of the Bible. 1611. Which by the way is celebrating its 400th anniversary. So it's really got some staying power, doesn't it? But 1611, uh, you know, uh, there had, uh, there were yet to, uh, to have some bones found because I believe it was in 1657 that some of the first dinosaur bones were discovered. So anyway, even before then, it wasn't called a dinosaur. So you get the idea here that, uh, you know, uh, the word dinosaur didn't come into effect until 1841. But the Hebrew word tanim, T-A-N-N-I-M, tanim, and I talked about this a year ago, but the word tanim was used 25 times in the Old Testament for dragon. It has a nuance to it. In the Hebrew language, there are nuances to certain words. And the nuance of this particular word tanim is translated from the Hebrew as, listen, terrible lizard. So is dinosaur is the dinosaur mentioned in the scriptures? Yes, it is. We should be excited about that. You don't look excited. I'm excited. Because that's so cool. In the Hebrew, it is. Dinosaurs there. Terrible lizard. What does dinosaur mean? Terrible lizard. Is dinosaur in the Bible? Yes. So it's there in the Hebrew form. You see, folks, the great lesson for us today is to ask critical questions about the things that our kids are learning about and get involved with them to show them what the truth of God's word says. So we need to teach our children to ask these questions as well, especially in the times in which we live, because you see, we're going to be attacked for everything that we believe. And if it's not dinosaurs, we're gonna be attacked about our belief in, 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 the way that the Lord has, has redeemed us, in the way that the Lord has done things. I mean, there's a guy going around today, and if you, if you heard Fox News this morning, Rob Bell, if you heard the name Rob Bell, well, he's, he's one of the, the, the major players in what is called the Emerging Church Movement. And, uh, he's a pastor of a church somewhere, and I forget where it is. But anyway, he, he, he just wrote a book where he questions now whether there is a real heaven or real hell. And, and in fact, it's about the hell part of it. You know, the question about hell. You know, and see, somebody, a, a Baptist minister came and, and, and you know, uh, to be uh, interviewed. And he, he, say, he stated in, in so much saying that, you know, this, this guy's a, really just a huckster who, who, who says things that people want to believe. Well, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Because he doesn't want anybody to go there. So folks, I say that there's so much that we need to, we need to stand upon when it comes to truth. And when you have people even in the church denying the existence of, of hell or of heaven or of any other thing, because there's even theologians today who deny that Jesus ever died on the cross, or they deny his vir- virgin birth, or they deny any number of things. You know what? They just, they're not believers and we need to have that discernment to know the difference but guess what we need to teach it to our children too do you believe what you want to believe I choose to believe what God says and in 40 years of knowing Jesus Christ I can tell you this he's never failed me once he's always been right and he's always been true and he's always been there He's never left me nor forsaken me.